Oh, it's a good thing I'm not sensitive in this class. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. That was a beautiful prayer. Thank you for leaving me a couple minutes. Carol, maybe as we plan for the, the future, we'll just let me know ahead of time maybe who's praying, and then I can sort of plan the lesson length. In, and really, we haven't really been factoring in that uh, variable. It might be a good thing in the future to kind of... Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. Um, I was a little anxious in the middle of the week when I checked the forecasts and it said we were supposed to wake up to ice this morning. I don't know if you, maybe you didn't look that far ahead, but um, I sometimes do just to kind of anticipate whether actually anyone's going to be here. And um, so I'm glad we didn't get that. And uh, it was chilly. Um, summer sort of ended in a day, didn't it? And uh, after a beautiful 75 degree day, things cooled off a little bit. Hope you have big plans for the week. I know a lot of you probably do. And um, just want to say that uh, as I think this week and gather uh, with our family uh, to give thanks, uh, one of the things I remain deeply grateful for is the the privilege of sharing life with you. And um, over the years, um, having the opportunity to wrestle with you, alongside of you, uh, with weighty matters um, of Christian discipleship. Um, I appreciate the seriousness with which uh, you engage these matters. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite a, it's a challenge. You keep me on my toes. I'm always grateful for that. Um, and I appreciate your, uh, your care as well for me as a person and, and our family. So I'll be giving uh, God thanks for you this week. As you may know, um, if you follow I me, mean, Christians have their own way of telling time. We've talked about this a number of times in here. And... Um, what, what's today? Some of you know this because you've been in church. Or you just may know it because you're a church person. It is Sunday. Very good. Yes. Gold star for Dana. Gold star for Dana. Yeah. Somebody said it. It's Christ the King Sunday. Also sometimes called the Reign of Christ Sunday. And you might think, what the heck is that? Um, and you could be forgiven if you didn't know. It's not one of the most Protestant churches, even Protestants who follow the Christian year. It's not necessarily a well-known uh, feast day, but it is a feast day in the church around the world. It is the last Sunday of the year, of the church year, right? You're thinking, wait, what happened to December? No, the, uh, the church year begins with Advent. Okay, so next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. So the last Sunday of the year, the last Sunday in Pentecost, is Christ the King Sunday. And 
that's the Sunday that we're in. And it celebrates a number of things, um, but it primarily celebrates the reign of Christ as King. And the Gospel lesson for today, and it is uh, at least part of the text we're going to look at, is, uh, is the passion of Christ. Which you might think, well, that's odd. I thought we deal with that text, you know, on Good Friday and Easter, and we do. Um, but we also deal with it. It's a it's a huge passage. In fact, the whole we're supposed to read most of Luke 22 and 23 today. It's like 60 verses or something, but we're not. So relax. Um, but we are going to sort of remind ourselves of a number of points in this text, but we're going to do it through what we've been talking about, which is vulnerability. Uh, we've been talking about vulnerability, and we're going to take the next four Sundays of Advent to also talk about, and for those here wondering, finish up our series on vulnerability. Um, I don't know that I've ever signaled five weeks ahead of time when I was going to finish the series, but by the end of this year, by the end of Advent, we're going to try to finish up um, at least what I have to say um, about this issue of vulnerability that we've been, been talking about. So we're going to look at this very familiar passage, this very familiar story, and see as a kind of preview. I mean, it's interesting that one of the, as we enter into the Advent season, and begin thinking about this familiar story of God coming into the world. It's good to be reminded of where the story ends. Right? It makes a big difference. Um, all of you know that you can't uh, you can't read a story the first time more than once. Wow. That was deep, wasn't it? <laughs> but that's important, right? I mean, once you know how the story ends, when you go back and read the story again, it's a different story. Right? You ever read a mystery the second time through? It's a different book. Well, yeah, that's, that's the joy of this season of life, <laughs> right? You can read the same mystery book every week, and it's like fantastic. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is why we're, this is another reason why we're telling this familiar story again. Uh, I assume you've heard it, but maybe you haven't. Um, but seriously, I mean, once once you once you read back through a, a mystery story, and you know how it ends, you see all kinds of things you didn't see before, right? Because you know where the story's going. And so, part of the reason that Christ the King Sunday begins with Jesus on the cross and in the garden and being betrayed, is so when we enter into the season of Christmas and we start talking about the sweet baby Jesus, we remember where the story's going. Okay, we remember where the story's going. Um, and we don't just sentimentalize 
the whole season. But we remember where this is going, and it's going with Jesus exalted as the king of the universe, Jesus reigning, which is what we celebrate today. But Jesus reigns in a way that is so counterintuitive that we have to keep reminding ourselves again and again, because it doesn't matter how many times we know the story ends this way, it's still hard to get it to filter into my mind and my daily life. This, this is the way that Jesus reigns. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. And it has everything to do with vulnerability. You recall that vulnerability uh, is this capacity to be wounded. Right? The very word vulnerability comes from this ancient word that means wound. And so to be vulnerable is to be capable of being wounded, which is the primary reason none of us likes being vulnerable. I don't like being wounded. And uh, I don't like being wounded uh, emotionally. I don't like being wounded uh, physically. I don't like being wounded mentally. I don't like being wounded anyway. And my hunch is I'm, I'm not alone in that. And so, um, as Judy talked about in my absence for those two weeks, I mean, we, we have elaborate strategies for either um, pretending that we're got it all together, that we're not wounded, um, have all kinds of strategies for hiding my wounds, or I also have all kinds of strategies of self-protection to keep from being wounded. Right? And today we are reminded of this central story of ours where Jesus comes and as the writer of First Peter says, echoing Isaiah 53, Jesus comes and heals us by and in and through his wounds. First Peter says, you know, by his wounds you are healed. By his wounds you are healed. And I think there's something for us in that. But we'll have to kind of back up and remind us of this, of this story. So the story in Luke 22 that we begin reading today uh, begins with Jesus um, in the upper room, uh, getting ready to celebrate his last meal um, before his impending death with his disciples. And when you look at Luke 22, uh, Jesus talks about the, the hour is coming, and he gives the, the bread and the cup to his disciples, and he's talking about that he'll, he'll not enter into this meal again until his kingdom has come. And in the middle of this meal, right? Imagine this. 
Uh, I mean, I've never had my last meal before, at least not knowingly, um, right? Um, when I was reading this passage this week, I, I did think about death row inmates who are some of the few people who know this is their last meal. I mean, other people might have a sense that they're fading away and they're dying, this might be their last meal. These people know this is their last meal. And I think about what, 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 that, what would that mean? I mean? Have you ever thought about what it would mean to think this is my last meal? What would be on your mind? What would be on my mind if I knew this was my last meal? And you've gathered your closest friends to be with you because this is weighty. I mean, can you imagine the weight on Jesus? He, he gathers his closest friends to be with him so that he's not alone. I mean, he's, he's incredibly vulnerable. He knows where this is going. He gathers his closest associates to be with him. And what happens during his last meal? They start having an argument about who is the greatest. They start having an argument about who among themselves will be regarded as the greatest. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about the woundedness of that. You poured yourself into these disciples for three years. You've tried to teach them about this upside down kingdom. You gather them for the last time, for your last meal, and they're bickering about who's going to be the greatest. Verse 24 says, A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. I love the way that's put. Notice it doesn't say which one of them will be the greatest. Which one's going to be regarded as the greatest? Right, go back to image management. <laughs> right? I want to be viewed as the greatest. I want to be regarded as the greatest. Right? But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, remember that, this notes this is coming out of Jesus' words because there's a lot of king language in this Lucan passage. But the first time it comes up is the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Okay? Lord it over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. We've talked about this passage before in here, but we've recalled, we've all probably had examples. We've all had experience of someone in authority lording that authority over us. That they were all too happy to let us know that they were the ones in charge. They were the ones in authority, right? They were the person calling the shots. Jesus says, you know, the kings, the Gentiles, the, they lord it over others. And they're called benefactors. Right? This was a kind of technical term. They're the ones who supposedly do us good. Right? But not so with you, Jesus says. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest. 
Now there's a surprise. Yeah. Young people in that day and age were vulnerable, right? <laughs> Must become like the youngest and the leader like one who serves. So if you want to be greatest in this kingdom, you don't walk around reminding people that you're the one in charge. You don't lord it over people. You're a servant. Leader like one who serves. For who is greater, Jesus says, the one who is at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus isn't asking them to do anything that he hasn't done himself. I mean, the Lucan passage doesn't have the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet that's in some of the other. But that's what seems to be alluded to here in Lucan's version. Right? Jesus has washed their feet, has been their servant, and he's been their servant all along. So this is the opening scene, Jesus, in the upper room with his disciples, knowing that he's soon going to his death, wanting not to be alone, and yet it's hard to imagine being wounded by his closest friends who still don't get it. Right? I mean, I can't imagine the frustration and the deep sadness of Jesus in this moment. Right? I mean, I know, I know the tiny bit of frustration I feel when I get to the end of, end of the semester and people say things, and I want to say, have you been in my class this semester? <laughs> have, I, have I not taught anything in here? I mean, but I didn't sort of pour my life for three years into students. I mean, I got them for, you know, an hour and 20 minutes twice a week. I mean, so I have pretty low expectations, honestly. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I didn't believe in God, I would have quit a long time ago. Um, I trust that God can take my, you know, five loaves and two fish of teaching and do something with it. Um, but Jesus, I mean, God of the universe comes in human flesh, pours out himself into these disciples. And at one of his needy, his neediest moments of his life, they reveal that they don't get it yet. It's hard to imagine that Jesus isn't wounded at that point. But again, he's wounded because he's open to being wounded, right? I mean, he's, he's living this vulnerability right in front of them. He could have protected himself. I mean, not long after this, he tells, he tells Peter that, you know, Satan is going to attack him. 
but that Jesus has prayed for him and that he'll come through this trial. He'll come through the other side. And Peter, like us, will have none of this. Don't tell me, Jesus, I'm going to fail. Don't tell me, Jesus, I'm going to be weak. Don't tell me that my armor's got a chink in it. I'm, I'm not ever, ever going to leave your side. You can count on me. Jesus just says, it's not happening. It's not happening. You just wait, Peter, and see. But Peter does what we do, right? I mean, somebody points out, you know, a flaw in me or a chink or a weakness. And I'm already in self-protection mode. <laughs> Right? It's like, no, 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 I think you've misunderstood. That's not me. Right? I'm strong. Um, that's Peter. I mean, he's invincible. I mean, Jesus says, I prayed for you. You're going to come through it. So I just want you to know you're going to be okay. And Peter says, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'm ready to be a hero. I'm all that. says, no, the day's, day's fastly coming, quickly coming to an end, Peter, and you're, you're going to deny me three times before the day is out. Jesus moves to the garden, to the Mount of Olives. Again, incredibly vulnerable. And this is always a, a confusing passage to some of us because um, it has everything to do with the way we view, view Jesus and what we think he has laid aside of his divine prerogative when uh, Jesus uh, comes to earth. Um, when Jesus becomes God incarnate. Um, yes, there is a sense in which he is the Son of God, but... Um, I truly believe Jesus doesn't know exactly everything that's going to happen. He's trusting that God is faithful and going to bring him through this. But I mean, he's human like you and I are human. He's never experienced death. I haven't either. Nor have you. And so in the garden... Jesus again brings his disciples, not surprisingly, says, stay here and pray with me. I'm going to go down here a little ways. I mean, like, can, can you blame him at this point? Um, it's like, I just need a little space, but I want you close. I want you close. I want you praying with me. Um, he goes away and he, he's in anguish. He's in anguish. I think it's telling that the scriptures portray Jesus as anguished, right? I mean, if I've been writing this account of the God the way I want God, the God I want, I'd have Jesus in the garden saying, I'm ready, bring it on. I'm ready to be the hero. I'm ready to do what needs to be done. This is what I came for. Let's go. I mean, that would be inspiring, right? 
That's like, that's, that's Hollywood material, right? I mean, who needs Braveheart if you got, if you got the garden scene that I want, right? But we see Jesus here deeply vulnerable, don't we? Willing to express, like, if, you know, I'm willing to go through with this, not my will, but yours, but if, if there's another way, you know, if there's another way for this to happen, Deeply, deeply vulnerable. If you're willing, Father, remove this cup from me. If you're willing, I, let's do this some other way. Right? But not my will, but yours. Then in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And of course, he returns to his disciples and their sleep. And then Judas comes. Jesus had earlier indicated that he knew what Judas was about. This didn't come as a surprise. But that's interesting. I mean, if you knew one of your close companions was going to betray you, would you just let it happen? Pretty sure I wouldn't. Um, Jesus allows one of his close companions to wound him deeply, to betray him to death. Jesus doesn't run away from it, doesn't try to talk Judas out of it. And I know, you know, I can sort of make that all go away by saying, but Jesus is God and he knows what he has to do and of course he's going to let himself do that but that that's a little too easy for me a sort of strip, easy for me to sort of strip Jesus of his humanity and not feel about the deep woundedness I mean this is not just someone I mean we talk about being betrayed by our friends but this is not just any betrayal this is someone who's handing you over into the hands of of your enemies. Right? And we don't know all that Judas was thinking. But it probably doesn't matter. Right? When you've been betrayed, I mean, you can try to be charitable to your enemies. Maybe Jesus was, even to Judas. It's hard not to imagine that Jesus isn't wounded here. Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man, he asks? I 
So they whisk Jesus away. We have the scene of Peter denying Jesus three times, just as Jesus suggested. And during this time, Jesus himself is being mocked and beaten and spit upon. He's blindfolded and they mock him by saying, prophesy, who, who struck you that time? Like, if, you're, if, you're, if you're all that, Jesus, I mean, which one of us hit you now? Then they interview Jesus and ask him if he is the son of God. And these are the Jewish authorities. And all he says is, well, you know, you say that I am. You say I'm the Messiah. And they say, what other testimony do we need? But then part of the assembly rises up and accuse him. It's, and it's interesting what they accuse him of. We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, the anointed one. He himself is a king. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, you say so. Jesus is king of the Jews. And we have to remind ourselves that that's it's really dangerous political language, right? The Romans don't take kindly to rival kings. They have an emperor. And there's no small danger in refusing to pledge your allegiance to Caesar or to pledge your allegiance to some rival king. So for, for Jesus to, be, uh, to allow himself to be called king of the Jews is basically to make him an insurrectionist. This is not just a religious issue. Jesus is allowing himself. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm not a king. No, no, no. Not the Messiah, not the chosen one. No, no, just, just a guy. Just a guy from Nazareth, just a guy from Galilee. Just a guy. And of course, Pilate <coughs> finds out he's from Galilee, decides to send him to Herod, another, a real king. Pilate's not a king, but he sends him to a kind of puppet king, Jewish king gets interviewed there again. And, of course, they can't find any reason uh, to do anything with him but flog him and release him. 
but of course the crowd will have none of this. And so the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities together allow Jesus to be handed over. And we finally find Jesus being led away to the cross. the deep ironies of the crucifixion is the disciples have all scattered but Jesus is still not completely alone at the cross there are the mockers and he also has the company of two other criminals who are being executed alongside of him Now, Rome didn't typically execute by crucifixion just your run-of-the-mill criminal. It was always somebody who had threatened Rome's power. So it was important to remember this. This is not like somebody who, you know, pickpocketed somebody's watch on the street. Now, this is somebody that Rome thinks is a threat to their power. And it's, it, it was intended to send a clear message, right? I mean, you, you crucify somebody over several days and you leave your bo their body hanging on the edge of the city for several days and the message is pretty clear. Do not mess with us. Do not dare to challenge our power. We will crush you. And so Jesus is being crucified alongside two other people who apparently seem to be threatening Rome's power. And his company, that's his company, right? Not his closest friends, but two fellow insurrectionists and the mockers, right? The people who are mocking. Jesus asks for his executioners to be forgiven, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But in the midst of that, people are standing, watching, scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself if he's the anointed, the chosen one of God. Soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. Right in the ancient world, a king had a cupbearer. So this king on a cross has a cupbearer. Right? The soldiers mockingly come and bring him sour wine which is what the poor people drank. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
And Luke also notes the inscription over his head. This is the king of the Jews. That was intended to be a taunt. Right? I mean, the soldiers thought, yeah. I mean, who were the Jews? I mean, the Jews were a ragtag group of slaves who were in bondage to Egypt, and then they were in bondage to Babylon, and then they were bondage to the Syrians, and then they were captive to the Persians, and now they're, you know, on the fringes of the Roman Empire, a weak group of nomads who don't amount to much of anything in world history. So, go ahead, Jesus, you, you, you be king of this Jews. It looks like, looks like things are turning out pretty well for the for this, uh, this reign. Um, such a familiar story. It's easy to forget that in the midst of all this story, Jesus is revealing the very heart of God. <coughs> but this is no this is no accident that Jesus vulnerability on the cross. I mean what what can be more vulnerable? I mean just physically vulnerable than being stripped of your clothes being spread eagled on a cross and being nailed there and hoisted on that wooden cross for all the public to see. Like, not looking so powerful now, Jesus. I mean, to be vulnerable is to be exposed, to be wounded. And at the very heart of our story, at the very climax of our story, cross the cross of Jesus, we see God's vulnerability. And that's what we'll be reminding ourselves when we go through Advent, that even though when I think of the word God, the first thing I want to say is power. But as Christians, if we really allow Jesus, I mean, at the heart of the Christian faith is we trust that Jesus, God gets to tell us who God is. We don't get to decide who God is. I want to tell God who to be. But perhaps the most radical thing about the gospel, the most radical thing about the Christian faith is we believe that in a world that says that victory is won through power and force and coercion, Christians say that victory is won through the vulnerability of love. <coughs> through the willingness to be wounded for another.
I'm old enough to where that should have sunk in to my life by now. I'm not sure it has. I mean, I still find myself balking at that. I still want God to be the power guy. But on this Christ the King Sunday, on this reign of Christ Sunday, we are reminded of this central truth that when the God of the universe comes in human flesh, this God chooses to reign from a cross. This God chooses to reign from a cross. It's hard to imagine anything more vulnerable than that. I know that has to have implications for the way I live my daily life. For the way I think about my own vulnerabilities that I'm hesitant to embrace because I see them as only weakness. How I don't see my own vulnerabilities as at least potential ways for God to work in and through. It's easy to forget that when we feel most vulnerable and we find ourselves at prayer, we are not praying to a God who is unfamiliar with vulnerability. We are praying to a God who knows precisely what it means to be vulnerable. Let's pray together. God of grace, mercy, unbounded generosity. We stand in wonder at this story that we have heard so many times. We give you thanks that you do not stand aloof from us, distant from us, but that you chose to be among us. You chose to take on and experience our human vulnerability and not just experience it, but make that very vulnerability <coughs> the means by which you would heal us, that we are healed by the wounds of this one who reigns 
from a cross. May we feel your presence in the midst of our own vulnerabilities. And just as you have drawn near to us in our times of our most vulnerable, may we who follow this risen King who reigns from a cross, may we too draw near to those who are vulnerable around us. We pray this through Christ. Amen.